Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. Today's guest is a sought-after keynote speaker and recognized business expert in leadership, marketing cultural transformation, and diversity and inclusion. He has held key leadership roles for companies including ING, Nationwide, and MetLife. He serves on numerous boards, too many to mention here, but including Ascent and Stratford University. And in 2010, he founded Global Diversity Marketing, a management consulting firm that works with global fortune companies and coaches C-suite leaders to adapt and thrive in our changing world. He is also one of my esteemed NYU colleagues, and he is here today to discuss his new book, Leadership in Changing Times, How Adaptive Leadership is Replacing Classic Leadership in a Post-Pandemic World which is a must-read for everyone who is or wants to be a leader or entrepreneur. Welcome, Tariq Khan, to the podcast, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Joanne, thank you for having me. Uh, Tariq is fine, Um, and I'm really excited to be a part of this. Thank you. Thank you. So I have so much to ask you today, and I always like to start with this question, which is where are you from? But especially to you, because I've known you as an NYU colleague for some time now, but I had no idea until I read the book, Your Backstory, which I found quite inspirational. So can we start there? Absolutely. Um, I was born in Pakistan and I spent most of my teenagers there. And I came to New York as an older teenager to get education. Um, and growing up in a country, you kind of, no matter how big that country is, you live in a bubble. Um, and now the communication is very open, but let's go back 30 some years ago. <laughs> Obviously, we didn't have the, the channels of communication. We had to watch news, read a newspaper to find things out. Uh, now we live in a time when, you know, we may be having rain in New York City and we may not know about it. And somebody from a different part of the world can tell us, hey, it's raining in New York. So, uh, <laughs> It, it was a great experience. And, and, you know, Pakistan is not a neighboring country to U.S., so it's completely different culture, uh, different people. Um, there are a lot of similarities, but there are a lot of differences. And coming to U.S. was quite a cultural experience for me as well. Yeah. And you and you came right to New York? Yes. I landed in New York January uh, 18, 1985. Wow. 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 So before we get to the book, can you tell us a little bit about what you do in your business? Yeah, so I have a business called Global Diversity Marketing. It's a management consulting firm, uh, which I started just about a little over 10 years ago. And the purpose of of getting into the business was really uh, how the changing face of America is really changing the whole landscape, you know, as consumers. Um, And our company focuses on connecting organization with the changing face of America. Uh, U.S. is a very diverse country, probably one of the most diverse countries in the world of that size. And... um, Every third person in this country is either Hispanic, Black, or Asian American. Uh, 50% of the population is women, which have always been there. But when you look at diversity from not only ethnic point of view, a gender point of view, and also lifestyle point of view, you know, Mm. the millennials, the Gen Zs coming in. Um, So our company focuses on developing strategy and connecting companies with those changing consumers. 
Well, that's true. But I know it is. It's it's um, even as a as an educator, I am starting to see the difference now between having taught millennials for so long to now teaching Gen Z. And you can kind of see the differences right there in front of your eyes. So um, why this book now and, and who did you write it for? So I've been teaching the C-suite leadership class for quite some time. And just as, as a faculty member, fellow faculty member, you would agree, um, you know, the, the change of pedagogy, the, you know, the whole style is, you know, uh, is really impacting the students, right? The, the, the connection is not there. And one of the biggest complaints I used to get from the students was that textbook is boring. <laughs> right. Uh, textbook was boring when I was in a school and when you were in a school. Right. And, but, you know, they are written by some great authors with a lot of good content. Uh, but with the you know advance of social media, people are very comfortable spending time on a screen with entertainment and not reading an actual paper. So, uh, you know, about five years ago, I started saying that, you know, let me try different books. I went through a lot of leadership books and assigned to the students, but the feedback didn't change. So, you know, in 2017, I believe I decided that, hey, one of these days I'm going to write a book, right? It's like a bucket list. Um, but writing a book was a huge commitment. So finally, in 2018, I got to it and I started writing the first script. And I said, oh, my God, uh, it's not as simple as I thought. Uh, <laughs> a lot of research, you know, and, and when you're writing a book, you are publishing a fact and anecdotes, right? So I started writing this book in 2018, and I was almost 80% finished in January of 2020. And then when you COVID on top of that, um, and you have written a book pre-COVID, everything changes. And I said, oh my God. Um, <laughs> for lack of a better word, luckily, uh, I had a little more time. And then I rewrote most of the book. And then finally, I finished that in summer of uh, 2021. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that impressed me about the book was, and as a writer, and I've written a couple of books myself, was how easy it was to read. Um, so you definitely accomplished that. You know, I talk about that all the time when I'm talking about content marketing. It's you've got to make this stuff accessible. You can be the smartest person in the world, but if you can't convey it in simple, concise accessible language anymore. No one's paying attention. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but that, that is, but it was very easy, very engaging, very engaging um, writing. So you wrote that the world is experiencing leadership bankruptcy. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, I believe that, you know, leadership is an asset and a liability also. Uh, when leaders, when we have good leaders, we have great assets. And when we have poor leadership, it's a liability. Now, leadership get tested in many ways. Um, and I think COVID-19 really tested leaders like never before in the mm -hmm. history, in the recent history that I can go back to. Um, and, and the challenge is when you really look at it, what happens sometimes is not in your control, but how you react to that situation is in your control. And when you look at pandemic that we got hit with, uh, so far we have lost a little over 5.2 million people in this world. Now, what's ironic is when you look at the list of the countries, obviously, sadly, and, you know, unfortunately, U.S. leads that list with over 800,000 people, followed by uh, India, Brazil, Mexico, uh, Russia, and uh, the United Kingdom. These six countries alone contributed half of the deaths all over the world. 
six yeah. countries, right? So um, now, and, and I, I don't want to get political. It's a totally nonpartisan uh, discussion. But when you really look at it, it's very difficult to ignore that how other countries have dealt with it, right? Mm-hmm. So this is just the how leadership reacted to it. And I'm not talking about only political leaders. Mm-hmm. Every civic leader, every business leader, every community leader, political leader, you know, all walks of life, we could have reacted better to, to this. And, and we failed because here we're talking about human lives, not to a war, a war against a pandemic. And in this modern time, one of the biggest medical uh, infrastructure that you can believe virtually came to collapse. And, and here, here is the problem with this. So we found out about this COVID-19 in end of uh, 2019. You know, Correct. that's why we COVID-19, right? So January 26th, if I, if 20, January 22nd, if I remember correctly, was the first reported case in Seattle, Washington in the U.S., March 3rd, I was sitting in NASA Coliseum in New York City attending Celine Dion concert. It was jam-packed Coliseum. In January, the World Health Organization declared this a pandemic. And <laughs> cases were coming in. So just, just go back in time and say, March, I am coming out with a 20,000 plus people concert. And knowing, yeah, that there is something called COVID, but you know, we didn't even have a mask at home. So <laughs> it's true. And then, you know, two weeks later, everything was closed. So we went to one extreme to the other extreme. And, and I think there is an involvement of leadership in there. Couldn't agree with you more on that. So you, you write that we must transform our leadership style from classic to adaptive if we are to thrive. And I'm quoting you here because I love this line in the current environment of frenetic forward moving change. Can you talk about what you mean by that? Yeah, and um, I think the example that I can give you of all the business successes that we have seen in the last 20 years are the companies and the leaders who have been adaptive. So let's take example of, uh, you know, this is a book. When I was in college or you were in college, we used to buy books at a bookstore. Uh, there were Borders, there were Bonds and Nobles and many other bookstores, right? Um, so Borders and Bonds and Nobles were predominantly, at least in New York area, were the two retail outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, on their best year, uh, they have done probably, Bonds and Nobles might have done under $4 billion of sales. Uh, Borders is out of business and Bonds and Nobles is probably hanging by a thread. In 1994, a company came in called Amazon selling books. Everyone virtually, everyone made fun of them. They're going to sell books online. Now, Borders made fun of them that they said that whatever online business we get, we will give it to Amazon because they can keep this thing online. Book is an experience where people come in and buy books. Um, Amazon has easily crossed over $250 billion in sales. The company has thrived over the years, right? And put everybody else out of business. Now, where do they sell? They sell virtually everything. And they also sell books, right? This is where we buy books. And now the company has, you know, the company that came on the premises of taking, you know, brick and mortar out of business. Now they have brick and mortars, you know, on the streets of New York, you know. (laughs) So the reason uh, that they have been very successful is because they have given up the classic leadership and they have taken up the adaptive leadership. Great example. Adapt to the changing consumer. And, And I would just finish with this thought that in America, 
United States, the number one company in customer satisfaction is Amazon, which is more than 99% customer satisfaction. Now, when you talk to people, and then I'll pick you as an example, if I say, Joanne, um, what are the last five things that you bought from Amazon? You'll say, maybe I bought a, a case for my phone, a charger, and I bought you know some uh, bottles, whatever, right? And I say, how were those products? And you probably will have mixed review and say, I didn't like my charger. I didn't like the color and the quality of my you know, phone case that I bought. Um, how do you like Amazon? Oh, I love Amazon, right? Amazon is, they don't produce products other than Kindle and some cloud services. Every product that they send it to you is through someone else, mm-hmm. but they really know customer well. And yes. that's the reason of their success. And that's why they are number one in customer satisfaction because they're changing with time. They communicate clearly with customer and they keep you as a priority. I, I couldn't, I could not agree more. One of the things I find fascinating because there's all this conversation on supply chain right now. And and fortunately, so far, I haven't had any big issues. But I have noticed that if there's something that I want and I go to the retailer's site or the the manufacturer's site, say I say a pair of shoes that I want, it could take a week to get. And then if I go to Amazon, and that same brand may have a, a store on Amazon because a lot of these brands do now, Suddenly, I can get the same thing in two days. So that I, I think kind of goes with with what you're. I'm always curious. Why are these other the competition not adapting? Why are they not looking? What are they doing to their? You know, how are they managing their supply chain in such a way? And and their distribution model really is really what it's about. And um, and that's why they're so, that's why people are so happy with them. But you're right about the adaptiveness of it. How we change in in real time, and God knows there's been so much we've had to change with in real time in recent history. Yeah, I I, I take this all to leadership, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, for the success of any company, there are two pillars that they stand on. One is obviously the strategy, and the other is the execution, right? And unless they both are perfect you can achieve that excellence. Mm -hmm. And companies like Amazon really are very focused about, very vertical in their thought about what is our strategy and what is our execution. And they really take it to the T. Um, They are very clear that customer comes first. You know, for every organization, if you look at it, there are three priorities and they have to pick one. Customer, employees, or, or stockholders, right? A public company like, you know, a Wall Street company will always pick a stockholders, right? Uh, a company like Zappos would say that our employees are first. And then this is a never ending qu- question, what comes first, employees or customer? But Amazon is very clear. We are in the business for customer. And, and that's how they really, uh, the leadership has clearly communicated that we want to make sure we will create services that our customers want. And I would not be surprised if a few years from now, your plumber is coming from Amazon because they really look and react. So there may be a drone coming into your house to deliver your package while you're outside the house. And the drone might say, hey, your faucet is leaking. Do you want me to get it fixed? And you say, hey, I'm not home. Don't worry. I'll monitor it for you. I'll record it for you. And I'll get it done. This is this is the stuff that starts to scare me. It's the stuff that starts to scare me. <laughs> Drones coming to my home, but um, you you, ta- you you have this, so much information in this book, and we could go on for hours about it. But I have pulled out some things that that I want to talk about here. So you ta- you list you have a long list of leadership myths, and we're not going to go through all of them. But one of them was that entrepreneurship is the same as leadership. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's something that 
can't be said enough out there right now. <laughs> yeah. So um, a few years ago, I was speaking at a student conference at Harvard, uh, and it was a full room of young, intelligent, uh, you know, talented people. And one young girl stood up and asked me a question that you have served in corporate for many years, and now for a few years you have your own company. You're an entrepreneur. What is the difference working for a company and being an entrepreneur? And I said, when you work for a company, uh, your salary is guaranteed. Your job is not guaranteed. When you're an entrepreneur, your job is guaranteed, but your salary is not guaranteed. Right? <laughs> good, good. So being an entrepreneur, you you um, you obviously demonstrate one thing: you can create a product or service, and you're an innovator, and you can manage it as well. But that doesn't mean that you're necessarily a leader as well. Um, entre- entrepreneur by their nature, you know, when we go to the nature of the beast, they are very innovative, creative. Um, they are flexible in many things. They can be their janitor and CFO and CEO of the company. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make you leader, right? Uh, leadership has very different qualities. Now, most entrepreneurs, once they become entrepreneurs, they think they're leader as well. But there are people like Mark Zuckerberg, who was a great innovator, created a phenomenal product. And at some point in time, he says, you know what, this is really becoming too big. And I need a serious leader and, and brought Cheryl Sandberg as chief operating officer because he's a creator, he's innovator, and, and he's not as disciplined to run a company of that size. Right. So we need that. Now, some entrepreneurs are leaders as well, but the leadership is a very different skill set. Uh, and they could be mutually inclusive at times, but one must not take it for granted that if I have become an entrepreneur, I'm a leader as well. But do you think that someone can become a leader? I mean, I know you you write that in the book that not everyone's going to become a leader, but um, and I do think there are certain innate qualities that certain people possess that are going to make them more likely to become leaders. But do you think anyone can be a leader with well, the right not training? Everyone, but anyone can. Not everyone, but anyone can. Uh, and and <laughs> this is my example. So knowing everything about leadership doesn't make you a leader. So if I go to my physician, uh, he or she would know everything about how to be healthy, but most doctors are not very healthy, um, you know, because it's how the execution is, right? Um, so leaders, you know, leadership has certain traits, right? And I personally believe, you know, I, I have no scientific scientific way to prove this, but I believe that everyone, virtually everyone is born as a leader. So if you want to look at a child who's three or four years old, when you look at their behavior, they have most of the traits of a leader. Mm-hmm. They're resilient. They are consistent. They are committed. They are fearless. Uh, you know, they're transparent in communication and everything. You know, they know exactly what they want and they don't <laughs> give up until they get that. Um, they communicate very well, even if they don't speak, right? Now, what happens is as they grow older, we as their parents or the guardian, we stifle their creativity. We say, don't do this. Don't go there. Don't look at that. Don't see that. <laughs> And, 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 you know, we give up, right? Because there is someone we're getting adult supervision from who is really monitoring our behavior. So we give that up um, and then we lose a lot of these traits. But then some people are, you know, born as leaders and they don't give up. And I use the example of Malala Yousafzai, who was, you know, under 15 when she got shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a very tragic thing. And most people after getting shot and says, hey, I would never do this again. <laughs> right, exactly. I'll, Not her. You know, make something out of this and I'll leverage the opportunity. Yeah, no, she that's an amiss. It's a great, great example. You also said that one success doesn't guarantee future success is one of the myths. Yeah. Um, so success is very temporary, right? Um, 
in everyone defines success differently. Um, there are three stages in life, you know, zero to 25, 25 to 50 and 50 plus. Zero to 25 is a learning mode where we are learning. It's a very selfish mode and there is nothing wrong being selfish, but we are learning the world and it's all about me, right? We're not thinking about money. We're not thinking about retirement. We're not thinking about health. We're just learning things and exploring. Then 25 to 50 is where we get a little mature and we think about, you know, growing our family, making as much money as we want, you know, living, depending on where you're living. And most people, I'm not saying that everyone is focused that way, but, you know, uh, the world teaches us that you need lots of money to live happily. We buy big houses, big cars, and it's all, it's, it's probably the most selfish mode in the sense that we want to take care of ourselves and our family. Then come the 50 plus mode where you think about it and say, Hey, what legacy am I'm, I'm leaving behind? How do I want to be remembered? And how do I give back, right? So that's the mode that you really think about and, and reflection of life. And then healthcare becomes the most important thing and the retirement becomes the most important thing, mm-hmm. right? Everyone react differently, um, you know, looking at that. So it's, it's a whole circle that we go through and different stages have different priorities in life. Success is a very open-ended discussion because the most successful people that we know externally are the people who are the most depressed people as well, right? Um, And, you know, when you look at them and say, hey, God, they have everything that one can ask for, why they're not happy? Because (laughs) success are two different things and, and happiness comes from within you and success often sadly is defined by external environment. So well, so well said. Um, You talk about the difference in leaders versus managers. Can you talk about that? Yeah, they are two critical um, elements of any organization. Um, I have seen many organizations run without a leader for a short time, but I have never seen any organization run, run without a manager. Right. So manager is a person who is a planner, executor, making sure that, you know, it's an air traffic controller. Right. Now, leader by nature is not air traffic. Controller. <laughs> they don't like details. They don't want to take a deeper dive and they, they don't want to take responsibility of other than critical thinking and opening doors. Right. Um, I have seen many managers transform into good leaders. I have never seen. Uh, a leader become a manager, right? They may have been manager in the past, but once you're a leader, because manager needs a different skill set. There are some people who could be good good at both, mm-hmm. but if a le- leader acts like a manager, then he or she will be treated like a manager, right? Manager's job is just to you know summarize this is if if you know, and I think I've given an example in the book as well that if you conduct a meeting, um, the manager is thinking about where meetings going to happen, what would be the logistic of it, and who would come on time and everything. And a leader is not even thinking about that. And they say, what, what do I want to accomplish from this meeting? You know, mm-hmm. what has the impact of the meeting? And it's quite possible that just 10 minutes before the opening of that meeting, he or she is looking where the meeting is. And a manager's, you know, measure success that if everybody came on time, meeting starting on time, everything was good, end of the day, there was a successful meeting. A leader would be only satisfied if had the proper impact that he or she wanted. 
There you go. Uh, One of the things that you wrote was that, and I'm quoting you again here, is that good leaders take responsibility and they never place blame. I know I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, going back to the moral bankruptcy earlier, that when it, it comes to leadership, it seems today, all we have is a lot of people pointing fingers at each other. Can you talk more about that or what your thoughts are? How we fix it for that matter? I don't know if it's, is it fixable? I hope so. Well, that's how you identify a true classic leader, right? Classic doesn't mean the old classic means, you know, a a consistent leader. And I read somewhere that private in, uh, I mean, criticize in private and uh, praise in public, right? Now, things will go wrong. Uh, A good leader will always, when success comes, will always look through the window and appreciate everyone. And when things go wrong, a leader will always look in the mirror, right? And and that's how it should be, right? Because, you know, you need to motivate people. People don't motivate a leader. I mean, they do, but that's how it should be. And when, when things go wrong, if you blame your team for that, obviously you're demotivating them and you're not giving them what they need. A good leader will always take the blame on herself or himself and ensure that the team is fully engaged and motivated. So it's important because these are the people who are going to deliver what you want them to deliver. And it's important for you to even, and and everyone knows when they make mistakes, people know, but they always think highly of the leader if they realize that it's it's the leader who's taking the responsibility for that. And, And a good leader should always do that. We need more good leaders. We need you helping these people. Um, So I usually like to ask about how your business has adapted to pandemic life, but you actually spoke about this earlier that while you were writing your book, suddenly it had to get changed a little bit. And you wrote about what you called the COVID factor and how it's taken us decades forward. Um, Can you talk about that in in terms of leadership? Yeah, so COVID was, um, you know, uh, obviously the lives that we have lost can never be replaced mm-hmm. and we should get that. But if you take that apart, and it's very difficult to do that, if you take that apart for a minute and think about it, I think COVID has been a very um, game changer in in the history. It really helped people to reevaluate um, themselves, their businesses, their lives and everything, right? As a business, you know, um, three or four years ago, this is pre-COVID, we were having a retreat and we had a small company. And one of the ideas from a young professional or an intern came out and says, hey, we have very uh, light work on Fridays. Why don't we make it a four-day week, a work week? And we looked at each other and, you know, there were probably less than 20 people in the room and said, okay, done. Let's do that. (laughs) We're not a public company that we have to go to shareholders or stockholders and get it approved. And we did that, right? Now, what happened, Joanne, after that, the performance of the people, the team members became really good. Wow. A year later, they said, hey, um, and we had an office on Fifth Avenue, you know, little penthouse on on 34th and 5th. Um, So then the second thing came up and people say, hey, um, why do we have to come to work every day? And I said, what do you mean? Well, it takes a lot of time. And, you know, so these are pre-COVID things that we were doing. Now, when the COVID came, you know, for nine months, nobody came to the office. Um, luckily, we had to hire more people and I hired people in Las Vegas working with us. 
And then our team members came up and say, hey, Tarek, why do we need to come to the office when we are delivering everything? I said, well, that's right. And we realized that we don't need an actual office space to work from. And now the people that, you know, who are working virtually with us will do that. Now, this is a small company, but let's let's review even large organizations. So recently I had a meeting with a, with a company, which is, you know, a Fortune 50 company, and I visited their office. Um, a day before my visit, they sent me a, um, a disclaimer that I am uh, forgiving all my rights to sue them ever again in his, you know, in future for any health conditions, right? Oh, uh, the have really become so protective because of this. But I'm going to talk about something more impactful that's going to happen. So think about the class of 2020 that entered the workforce for the, for the very first time. Mm-hmm. They're working remotely. And next three to five years, they probably will work remotely. Now, five years from now, you invite these people to come back to an actual physical location five days a week. They will quit. Mm-hmm. Because they have never worked in an environment. And why would they quit? Because there will be enough companies who want to hire them for their talent. So the work environment, the rules of engagements have changed completely, right? If this was not COVID, you and I would be probably sitting in a room and doing this podcast. <laughs> if this wasn't COVID, I don't think I would have done a podcast. Honestly, I mean, COVID, the COVID, this this whole podcast came out of, it was my thing that I created, you know, everyone had their thing they created during COVID. And the fact that I can talk to anybody, any place. And I, I, I have, I had someone on my podcast who is in Singapore. It's just kind of amazing. I couldn't do that if I was renting a studio in New York. Yeah. So, so the things that we were thinking about 20 years from now, that may be a possibility are here today. Mm-hmm. Right. And someone asked me because I was doing my, um, you know, book talk, um, and one of the person in the audience says, what do you see in the future and from leadership? I said, well, there will be new challenges. Leaders mm-hmm. would have to you know, lead uh, artificial intelligence, robots, not humans. And today we're saying, what? But Amazon is already doing that. Amazon's already doing it. <laughs> they are ahead of the curve. If you get a machine learning and machine managing and machine leading, it would be an interesting discussion at that time. But we, we got to be ready. We got to be flexible. I know you wrote this book for because you had a need for your, for your students, but I see it as much more. Who else do you think would benefit from reading a book? I mean, to me, it was I could think of a lot of people I worked for over the years that could have that could have used a basic book like this. And it's not that basic, actually, because you really do go in depth on several things. Yeah, I, I try to simplify and sometimes I get blamed that I oversimplify things, but I don't think um, there's such a thing. <laughs> I, my, my purpose was that if you are a young professional mm-hmm. or a student who's just uh, thinking about entering the workforce uh, to someone who is really uh, a marketing maven or leadership, you know, C-suite executive and everyone in between can really benefit from this book. Mm-hmm. Um, try to keep it very simple. I'm talking about, you know, what it takes to be a leader. Uh, and, and I'm not claiming that I'm a great leader myself. I'm, I'm in a learning mode. But at least, you know, if I, at age 25, if, if I knew the things that I know now, I could probably be have been better in my career and as mm-hmm. a human being. So I'm talking about all these things. And then I have interviewed some really great C-suite leaders of these fortune companies that I had an opportunity to work with. And, and, you know, I had an open interview with them that, you know, what do you share? 
uh, with the world? You know, what are, what, are, what are your success and failures that people can learn from? Yeah, see, that's how, when I read it, it was, yes, this is going to help someone who doesn't understand at all, that, that student who's new to this. But it's also a reminder for leaders who are out there like, gee, am I doing that? I don't know if I'm doing that so much. Uh, maybe I need to pay attention to myself because, as you would say, I think that kind of comes across in the book. A good leader is actually going to be looking at themselves in the mirror to see how they're going to improve. Yeah, and there, a lot of times, you know, we don't like criticism, right? Um, but I think Lee <laughs> Iacocca said it best that if you're surrounded by people who agree with you on everything, you're surrounded by the wrong people. That's right. Um, I agree. And when you're reading a book, it's not targeted to you, one individual, but it's targeted to you, right? And as a writer, you can write things um, that you cannot tell people face to face because then they say the thing that, you know, you're talking about me personally. And listen. <laughs> Um, so sometimes, you know, when you go in self-evaluation and say, you know what, he's writing, you know, that uh, I have to be transparent in communication. Am I? And if I'm not transparent in communication, I could really confuse things and people may, uh, you know, because a lot of people don't get the feedback that they deserve or they need. Uh, you know, feedback is always very, very imp important. You know, it's very hard to take criticism from anyone, Right. Um, so I have seen so many good leaders and they were fearless leaders and nobody actually ever went to them and say, Hey, uh, you know, if you get rid of this thing from your, uh, behavior, you are a level five leader. So, um, one more question here on this. So how have you personally adapted during the, the pandemic? Obviously you wrote a book, but how else has this been for you? Cause it seems like everyone's had something that it has revealed in themselves or had them thinking about. Well, um, how I, I rediscovered myself and my family, uh, obviously spending time, I realized that the things that I've been running after, mm -hmm. they're not as important as they were, right? Uh, mm -hmm. My tangible stuff is less important than experiences that you can have with people that you care for. Um, and everything else, you know, it will be left here when you leave this world. Uh, and we have lost, you know, you, you're a New Yorker, right? You're a native New Yorker. Um, in New York, you know, we have been badly hit with this COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Each and every one of us have lost someone who is near and dear to us, right? And so sure. on. Um, and these people pre-COVID had plans for five and 10 and 15 years, right? Long-term planning was there. And the things that they wanted to do three years from now, five years from now, they could have done it today. Uh, so we really have to reflect um, and see that, you know, what am I doing in short term and how am I making an impact and changing someone's life? You know, it's very, very important to really uh, reevaluate your goals and objectives in life and just recalibrate yourself and things get done. You know, pre-COVID, if somebody told me that, hey, you can't go away for two months. I can, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't impact my business, right? So, you know, um, just believe in people. And if you're a real leader, you, you have to groom others as leaders as well. So Wonderful. So I always like to finish up with a little lightning round of fun stuff. So I, I hope you're game for that. <laughs> One of these days, someone's going to say, no, Joanne, I'm not doing that. Cut that part out. So your favorite social network? Uh, Facebook. 
ah, I thought for sure you were going to tell me LinkedIn. See, you can't always figure these things out. It was pre-COVID. It was LinkedIn. But now I, I find LinkedIn very business oriented and selfish. It's a great network. You know, I, I, I have quite a few following on, on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but, you know, Facebook is very personal to me. And it, I, I call LinkedIn as your office, Facebook as your home and Instagram is your bar. <laughs> I may quote you in, in my social media class on that one. Um, something people would never guess about you. Uh, that I never had tea or coffee in my life. Wow. I'm very impressed. Very impressed. Um, I can't imagine my life without coffee. The last series you binged. The, the last? The last series you binged on TV. Um, it, it's a Turkish drama um, that I'm following on um, Netflix. It's called Artigal. And it's a Turkish hist- historical uh, drama and, and I love that. <laughs> um, the most app, most used app on your phone. The most ways. Ways. There you go. A food you cannot live without. Water. It's drink, but um, um, yeah, I, I would say water and uh, probably I would say banana. My mother would have loved you. She couldn't live without her banana every day. Um, what you miss most about pre-COVID life? Traveling freely. Mm, and me too. And what motivates you to get up in the morning? My family. Yeah, that, 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 that's a good one. So can you tell, um, I will put all these links in the show notes, but can you tell people where they can um, find more about you? We can follow you on wherever your website, I'll put your website, the company's website, and obviously where to get the book. Well, right now, the best way to get the book is through the publisher because um, we can track that and a portion of our royalty go, goes towards charitable causes. Um, so that's the best place to get the book. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Everyone should read this book. Leaders want to be leaders, certainly entrepreneurs who don't know anything about leading at this point and, and, and need to start to learn it. So thank you so much for your time. Joanne, thanks for having me. Truly appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember, whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.